0: All right. Uh, this morning, you talk about. I mean, I, I mean, if you're busy this morning, you gotta say, "Man, why are you here today?" Because this is a fascinating text, and for all of us, a really uh, tough passage. And I want to look. If uh, Mike, if you would put it back to the collect, I want to walk through the collect for a moment, and then I want to just give you two minutes on the Epistle, and then let's look at the Good Samaritan. We all know the Good Samaritan story, but I want to suggest to you, I'm going to walk you through it. Uh, as well. But I mean, the church, every time I think I'm doing okay, the church reminds me by focusing on the scripture, man, I have to really keep my eyes on Jesus and really serve him. Uh, Anyway, you'll see what I'm getting at. So the collect, remember the collect for the day is the collective prayer of the church. Uh, And that means it's sort of the church as as early church, they divided up the 52 weeks of the year. And basically said there are 52 major themes that we should be teaching yearly. Uh, meaning that, that not everything in the Bible is as useful as something else. And so the major teachings and in sequence. So it is interesting when we start in Advent, for example, which we're not there today, it's the 13th century Trinity. But isn't it interesting that the first four weeks of the, of the year in Advent are that like Soren Kierkegaard said, we should begin with the end in mind. And so the fir- four weeks of Advent remind us that Jesus is coming back to judge the living and the dead, and that should compel us, and the life, uh, the eternal life that we've begun, that's going to continue into eternity, that that should compel us and constrain us to live a certain way, and to change our values and our DNA, and then it gets into an epiphany, it gets into the humanity of Christ, uh, then his divinity, and then we move into Lent, our response uh, to the perfect God, man, in Jesus uh, and then we have a season of repentance as we prepare ourselves that we may experience the power of the cross uh, in fresh and new ways. Uh, and, and then we move into Pentecost. I mean, the whole, the essential, I mean, all these things are sequentially ordered in a way that would help us to get deeper and deeper every year. In the Trinity season, it focuses on the three persons of the Trinity. So part of Trinity focuses on our relationship with God the Father. Did you know it's important that you have a relationship with God the Father just as you have a relationship with Jesus and a, a relationship with the Holy Spirit? God is one, but there are three persons, and we are baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay? We, are, we are immersed, we're connected to each of the three persons of the Trinity, and we cannot be balanced and flourish and be fruitful in the Christian life without a spirituality that reflects a relationship with each member of the Trinity. You know, I was, uh, you know, the old thing, I I really understood and was trained in the Baptist Church to know that I asked Jesus Christ into my heart as my Savior and Lord. I did not know very much about God the Father, and I did not want to know a lot about the Holy Spirit. That was sort of the biases that I was raised with personally. Um, Tragically, quite frankly, because you have to overcome those things, and it took a long time. Uh, for me to get more and more open to understanding and knowing God as Father, as well as uh, to be dependent upon the power and presence of Holy Spirit. So, almighty and merciful God. So the collective prayer, 13 weeks in the Trinity, this is a big one. Uh, And we need to pay attention this morning. I certainly do. Talk about focusing things. Almighty and merciful God, His power and His mercy. All right? "...of whose only gift it cometh that thy faithful people do unto thee true and laudable service." Semicolon. I mean, you talk about a sentence. I love these, these long sentences. They're sort of a German-esque sort of few of these long things. And, and, uh, so, of whose only gift? It's referring to Jesus. The gift that makes it possible for human beings to faithfully worship and obey God, it's of the gift, and the gift is Jesus. So the, the church is assuming that we understand that the gift, and it's the, it's the power of God and His mercy that sent Jesus as a gift, and through relationship with Him and the empowerment of His Spirit, we can worship God in a way that would please God. It would be laudable, it would be praiseworthy, uh, commendable. Uh, laud is the, you know all glory, laud and honor. You know, so it's the it's that worship and praise that we give to God. So. It's of your gift in Jesus that it's possible that thy faithful people, trusting in Jesus, do unto thee true and laudable, commendable, praiseworthy service. So faith and works, faith and service. One of the big issues in the church and through, uh, of course, the Reformation. All, you know, faith, what's the relationship between faith and works? Well, we're on faith and works Sunday. So we're going to talk about it here. Grant, we need it, Lord. we beseech thee Now, Why to have a big word like beseech? Well, one reason is that way I can tell you what it means and earn a paycheck every week. That's that's what I feel. We we use the King James in our prayer, this sort of style, so it keeps me, you know, keeps me on food on the table. No. Beseech is not simply to ask. I could say, Can I borrow a dollar from Chad? Whether he'd give it or not is another question. But I could ask Chad, you beseech someone that's better than you, meaning this is not a mere asking, it's to ask God. So it's not with human beings. Now, in the old days, you know, the time of uh, the King James, you're better could be a lord or a prince or a king or a nobleman or whatever. But in the context, in the biblical context, and in our context, we only are using that word when it comes down to when we're speaking to God. Okay, so we're saying, we beseech thee, we're begging you, but it's not simply to ask or to beg, it's to ask of someone who is greater than you and more wonderful than you, and that's God. So we're not just asking, we're beseeching him that we may so faithfully serve, faith and works, faithfully serve thee in this life. Because if we don't have faith and service, faith and obedience, we will, we will fail to enjoy him in the life to come. We're not really believers. We're going to talk about that in a minute. So so that we may faithfully serve thee in this life that we fail not to finally attain thy heavenly promises. The only way we can do that is through the merits of of Jesus Christ our Lord, who true faith in Jesus leads to works and obedience, meaning those people whose face is fixed on God, stayed upon Jehovah, hearts are fully blessed, finding as he promised, perfect peace and rest. But as we focus on God, we are constrained to take our, our face off the things of the world ourselves, instead to focus on God. And when we focus on God, we fall in love with the hurting and broken world that Jesus died for. And the truth is, if we don't have our hearts and we're not constrained to focus on the people around us in this broken world, we don't really love God. That's part of what the church is reminding us. That it's easy to say, like I was said to at five years of, come forward and ask Jesus Christ in your heart as Savior and Lord. And a relationship with Jesus is no less than making a decision. We must make a decision. There has to be a time where we ask Christ in our hearts as Lord and Savior. But any true commitment to Jesus and faith in Jesus is going to flourish as we follow him daily in prayer and worship, and we're led by him into laudable service, things that are commendable because we're truly in relationship with God. If there's no works, you don't really have the faith, because true faith leads to works. So what did Luther say? Faith alone, faith stands alone on the merits of Jesus, but... Faith never, uh, you're saved by faith alone, but faith never stands alone. Meaning, any true faith is going to move out and be uh, reflected in a life of worship and service. Now, as you might know, the the history of the Reformation is, uh, you know, what a tragedy in so many ways. The Catholic Church, of course, emphasizing charitable works, the works that come from charity, according to Paul in 1 Corinthians. Let's get in in the best of of scenarios without all... Remember, every church has plenty of things in their history, which they're off. But the official teaching of the Catholic Church was that faith, which brings charity. Okay, now we know the Inquisition. We know there was plenty of bad things going on. But the emphasis on good works is a biblical emphasis, as well as, of course, the Protestants were right to say that everything is rooted in the merits of Jesus Christ. That's absolutely right. Everything's rooted there, but that the tree must flourish... How do we say that? we got to read it in Jesus. And if you read Paul in a way that negates Jesus, you're not reading Paul right. All right? So we have this thing this morning, and we have in Paul the idea about the, uh, the Abrahamic covenant, which is 430 years. Sorry. I saw that accident. That was not cute. That was a little face plant. Sorry. I'd rather have children in the church than no children in the church. Remember that. They, you know, The day their Sunday schools were, were uh, sick or whatever, and so we got a lot of kids in here. But in some ways, how wonderful we got the kids in here. And uh, I can tell you, we had no children for many years at this church. The hassles of having children squealing or whatever, it's way better than having the dead silence of uh, no children. So remember that and pray for those kids. And if they're squirming, give them a mint or something. Don't pinch them. When I was a year they, they had pinches or something. Well, it's, I guess it shows you my sins when I say, give them candy. Uh, I guess we're all being exposed in certain ways. But anyway, all right, so Paul's point in the Abrahamic covenant, the Jews are saying, look, if you're saying that, that salvation is by faith in Jesus, then you're negating holiness and good works. And Paul said, no, don't you understand that the covenant with Abraham... Was 430 years ahead of the law, and that it is the, the foundation of the law. That Abraham was, a, was a, um, reckoned by God righteous because of his faith. All right? And so that the covenant of faith precedes the law. So, yes, we got to have good works, but any good works apart from faith and the righteousness which comes from God are not going to help us, meaning we cannot earn our way. We can't earn our way into heaven. Of course not. It's faith in the righteousness of Jesus. Right? But at the same time, anyone who really knows God and is focusing and worshiping on God is going to fall in love and serve God by loving this world. And it's a messy world. I mean, I hate to say it. When I'm tired, I think about, oh, I would love to have money and, and, and have some hunting land and have this and that. And, and yet, the truth is, we're supposed to be focusing on Jesus in our prayers. Uh, it's, we're supposed to be focused on Jesus, not the things of this world, not new cars, not new life. We're supposed to be focusing on Jesus. And in Jesus, then, we're supposed to be asking the question, how can I worship him better? Now, people say, if you're too heavenly-minded, if you're so focused on Jesus and God, you'll be no earthly good. A person who claims to be heavenly-focused, who is not earthly good, is not really heavenly-focused. It is impossible to be Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, and become no earthly good. If someone's no earthly good, it's, I shouldn't say BS, but it's not legit. Okay? It's not legit. And we got to be very clear about that. The people who've made the most powerful transformation on this earth were people who were absolutely fixed in heaven and they had a vision of the kingdom of God and Jesus, and therefore they changed by their service and worship of Jesus and their efforts empowered by the Spirit, they were able to change societies in the world. That's how it happens. And the truth is, we're not changing the world as much as we could be because we're not focusing on Jesus as much as we need to be. Or the kind of focus okay, that allows us to stay focused in a way that we don't love what Jesus loves Again, is the wrong kind of focus. How do we know that? Well, let's turn to Luke 10 this morning for the question with the lawyer. Now, the the text this morning started in the 23rd verse. Pardon me. (coughs) The 23rd verse of Luke 10, but we're going to start in verse 25. When the lawyer comes to Jesus and he asks his question about how can he have eternal life? Uh, You can see it up on the screen. Hopefully it's in your Bibles. Are on your phones, L-U-C-K, Chad, L-U, sorry, thank you, yeah, sorry, he's helping them out there on the phone, I what luck, There's a, there you go, well, I'm not a speller either, that's why I was helping him, this, this is what happens when you get like this, it's bad, all right, I'll, I should know, the two saints in our church, Chad and Al, I shouldn't have been messing, there you go, all right. So, so here we go. Verse 25, and behold, a certain lawyer now the lawyer was a scribe. What this means is it's a person who spent their time. It'd be like today having someone who had their PhD. in canon law, except for the, the scribes of the New Testament and the Old Testament, they were people who were experts in the Old Testament law and the Old Testament and the oral tradition. So they were experts in the Mishnah, and so they knew not only what the Bible said, but what the best commentators. Of the Old Testament said. They were experts, and you could ask them fine points of nuances, and they could tell you what is what. So behold, a certain lawyer, scribe, stood up, so he was there, and he stands up as if he's in the posture of the learner, and he asked the teacher, the rabbi, Jesus something. Now, in this case, the rich young ruler in another occasion asked the same question. He appeared to be sincere. This guy, which you cannot see in English, but I'm going to explain to you, this guy was not sincere. Let me tell you something. When you know people are asking you questions and they're not willing to follow Jesus, if they get the right answers, they're not sincere. We could uh, stop wasting a whole lot of time with a whole lot of people. I've asked many people, if in fact your objection is answered, will you follow Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord? If they say no, then there's no, what's the point? Meaning, you, they just change. Every time you answer a question, they just change. I'm not here to debate people. I want to help them, but I'm not here just to go in endless arguments. And I, I did that as a young man, and I'm trying to get wiser as I grow up and get older. So, the lawyer stood up and he tested him. Now, this is, this is to, to, uh, to test him here. There is a word uh, that's just like to ask a question, and there's a word that is he's trying to get an answer out of him. Meaning, he's trying to set him up. So in Greek, there's an extra EX in the front of this, which is to get something out of them. So he's asking a question, but it's not sincere, and it's emphasized by the word in the Greek to test. So there's a, there's a testing which is sort of neutral, like to ask a question, and there's another one, it's like to get something out of them, to win an argument. That's what the guy's doing. Certain lawyers stood up and tested him saying, teacher, rabbi, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? What an important question. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, There's three times in this text the word do in English is used. And to properly understand that word makes this whole text clarify and make us be like, oh my goodness. So in this verse, the word do is aorist tense, meaning what can I do and get it done with? Meaning what act can I do? I was told as a little boy, you go forward, it's not in the Bible, but I was told it'll work. He so said, go for it and ask Jesus Christ to come to your heart, repent of your sins, ask Jesus Christ to come to your heart. Nothing wrong with that. But that's just a beginning of a relationship with God. But I was taught it oftenly and frequently as if once I did that, I could twiddle my thumbs and basically they wanted me to be good. They didn't want me to, to, to curse or dance. or I mean, there was a lot of things they, didn't, they told me to do. It, but basically, their theology reflected that you did something and once it's done, you're done. And then you twiddle your thumbs and try to stay out of trouble. Don't get any holes in your jeans. Be nice. Uh, and then you do whatever you want. Just be good. And, and then you die. And then you go to heaven. That's not uh, what Jesus teaches. And that's not what Paul says. So this guy says, what can I do and get it done? So I do something and get it done to inherit eternal life. Eris tense. A finished, completed action. That's what he's looking for. I hate to tell you, I think in some ways, all of us potentially, listen, let me speak for myself. How nice it would be, sort of, if you just sort of did something and you did it, and we weren't expected to live faithfully, walking with Jesus Christ all of our days and serving him as the God that he is. I mean, I say nice, that wouldn't be nice because, in a sense, we would then, our lives would reflect us and our culture and not God, and it would be kind of ugly and nasty. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, he said to him, what is written in the law? You're an expert. Tell me what, what the law says. He didn't say it's snarky. The guy responds, okay. And it's interesting. Jesus asked two questions. The guy gives the same answer that Jesus gives. And yet Jesus and the sky are far, far apart. This guy believes that if I have the right answers in my head, that takes care of everything. Jesus is clearly going to demonstrate it does not matter it is not less than having the right theology. You've got to have the right theology, but it is not enough. This guy had the right theology. He gives the perfect answer, the same thing that Jesus said on multiple occasions. This guy gives the exact same uh, answer. He quotes out of Deuteronomy 6.5, Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, or your mind and strength. Uh, and, and then... The end of uh, Leviticus 19, 18, it says, like, don't betray your neighbor or this or that. And then it says, love your neighbor as yourself. It's the very end of a long verse in Leviticus 19, verse 18. So this guy quotes the Old Testament, which Jesus says is the perfect summation of the Old Testament law in the best way. And Jesus says, you got it right. So here it is. What's the scribe's answer? You shall love the Lord your God, verse 27, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, great. He says to him, you have answered correctly. Isn't it nice if Jesus said, you got it right? Yeah, got it right. He says, do this and you shall live. Now here's where we can't see it in English. In English, this is present tense. So it means do this and keep doing it every day until you can't breathe anymore. (laughs) Love God like that and your neighbor like that every day and every moment of your life. Then you get what it's about. That's what true faith in Jesus is. And you know what? How can we possibly, I mean, I'm in my office and and I'm praying with somebody. and, and, And you guys think that Jackie's really sweet and all that? I'm praying and she interrupts me. And I'm, kind of, I'm like, who's knocking at the door? You know, who's knocking? Okay, so I, yes, and she says, uh, there's some guy, and he's pounding on the door. Pounding, well, I, well, I said, who, who left the door open? Which I'm, now I'm asking a blame question. I shouldn't have said that, looking back. But anyway, because I knew she was in her uh, meeting with somebody. I was meeting with somebody. So she said, well, someone's pounding. He went around to the window. like, oh, yeah, sorry. should have I should have been up answering the door. I'm thinking, thank you that my office is in the back of the church and hers is in the front of the church. But in any case, she says, hey, this guy's here and he's wanting money for gas. Immediately, my thought is, throw that guy out like Jackie's going to throw him out. I'm like, I'm praying. You know, we're doing something important. It's been scheduled. We're busy. So no doubt, she, you know how merciful she is. She kindly, I'm sure, said in the kindest possible way, sorry, we can't give you gas money. And, and he left. But I can tell you what I didn't do. I didn't say, Lord, am I supposed to stop? And serve this guy. We have so many people that come. The early church called them Christ mongers. You've heard of a whoremonger, someone who has sex indiscriminately. But the church, early church called people Christ mongers because they went around always trying to get money and take things from the good heartedness of Christians who didn't have discernment to pray and to ask the Holy Spirit, should I help this person or not? Remember, Jesus didn't help everybody. But he did listen to the Father, and he helped some really unusual people that we would have said no to, like demon-possessed people. You know, there's a lot of people Jesus helped that we would say, not a chance. And there's people that we might think were really important, and Jesus didn't think that in terms of their attitude and actions, that they were so important in terms of what was going on. And if we don't have a vibrant relationship with Jesus where we're reading God's word, where we're praying and asking the Holy Spirit throughout the day, we could, I'm still not sure because I was more irritated for being interrupted than I was asking, Lord, should I get up and drive him to get a gas or whatever? I didn't have a bunch of cash. I don't know that Jackie did. I should have said, Jackie, give him 20 bucks. That would be a great answer. The point is, My faithful relation with Jesus requires that I live in a moment-by-moment obedience of asking the Lord when these things come up, which is which? Because there are people of which we're not supposed to, but there's people that we are. And there is no way, humanly speaking, that we'll know which is which. All that we can have is a committed relation with Jesus so that when the time comes, we can ask and then respond as he leads us to do. Jesus says, the people that really have faith in me... That's what their life looks like. Go and do that. You live this way where your focus is so much on God that you're compelled to love a broken world and people that got all kinds of issues and problems that we don't have enough money for. We don't have enough time for. We don't have enough wisdom for. But God does. And we step out in obedience to Jesus when Jesus calls us all of a sudden. You know, the Bible says one man saves and grows all the poor. Another man gives and grows all the richer. I, I, I don't have enough money for that. I don't have time. Listen, when we step out in obedience to God, the money will come when we need it. Now, what it means, if we start living for Jesus in a more intense way and fall into more, more debt, it means our values will change. Because the truth is, we're in love, at least for me. I find myself enamored with many things in the world. And the verse the Holy Spirit brings is, Love not the world or the things of the world. I think, oh, but what about that truck, Lord? What about. I'm just telling you about me. There are many things in the world that aren't necessarily wrong for someone else that if I put my heart on I'm sinning. And I find if I'm tired, I dream of having stuff. Instead of saying, I'd love to say, when I'm tired, I dream of revival. I dream of, When I'm tired, I say, oh, wouldn't it be nice if I had a bunch of money and a big hunting land and I could just go up there and drive a tractor and of course, I'd probably be too hot. I wouldn't want to get on the tractor. But anyway, you can lie to yourself. When, you know, I wish I could go live weights. Jesus says, if you'll do this, if you'll follow God, if you love, if you will grow in a daily committed way with your eyes fixed on God revealed in Jesus and believe in him and his righteousness and then obey him, that will show you that's the legit faith. Do you know there's a whole lot of people that have been told you can believe in Jesus, but you don't have to obey Him? What could be more dangerous? Why do you think the world hates Christians so much? I mean, the the world's always going to hate the good ones. But we've given the world a lot of ammunition. Because we do not love the Lord our God. We are not focusing. You see... Pastor Godum, you know, uh, shouldn't say his name on the tape. We'll have to edit that out. Anyway, we see our dear friend come. He was Hindu. He knows what it means that God demands everything. And you see this vibrancy in his relationship with Jesus because he understands that you can't claim that Jesus is your Savior and your Lord and not follow and make him the fixed center of everything that you do. And his whole life revolves around that. To the point where, well, he's he's the real deal. And he challenges me to remind me uh, in terms of what God requires of me. So he says this to the lawyer, do this and you'll live. Now look, we do it imperfectly. We repent, we don't do it right. I had to pray, say, Lord, forgive me about this guy. I was doing something important, but I should have asked the question. Okay, I should have asked the question. Lord, is this something I'm supposed to stop for or not? In that we were minimal of prayer, I don't think so. But but I should have asked the question then, and I didn't. All right, because my love for God has to be expressed in the way in which I respond to other people around me in this world, uh, and He sends us tests all the time. All right, twenty nine. Of course, I don't know about you, but I, I I I'm like this guy. I want to justify myself. Well, it's okay if I have this. It's okay if I have that. I'll share it. I'll I'll do. It. I mean, we have all these excuses. And this guy wants to justify himself, and, and who wouldn't if, when we're exposed by the one who can see right into our heart and show us our weaknesses. So, wanting to justify himself, he said to Jesus, and who's my neighbor? I mean, this is the religious spirit within us. We always want to say, well, well, who do I have to discount? Well, he's going to spend it on alcohol anyway. I was talking to someone who told me that the other day, and I said to him, do you know that Proverbs 31 says... Give a poor man strong drink that he may forgive his troubles. Did you know it's a command? I mean, it's wisdom literature. Don't pay any attention. But, but i just tell you, read Proverbs 31. I mean, yeah, the, most of the text in Proverbs 31 is about the, the, uh, you know, the, the most perfect sort of woman who, who flourishes in all these ways. It's this incredible pattern. But the beginning of Proverbs 31 says a very interesting thing. It's not for us to judge how they're going to spend the money. The question we've got to judge is, Lord, are we supposed to get involved? That's the question. Once I start thinking how they're going to, I, listen, we give money all the time to things and we're, we're trusting, but God's going to judge us that we gave, whether it be churches, missions, whatever it is we, that we're sowing when God shows us what to do. What they do with it, they've got to answer to God for it. Okay, but, but if we start thinking and ju- making all these judgments, then we can put up the wall and say, they don't count, they don't count, they don't count. And before long, I just got to watch TV and drink beer and have another barbecue. Who's my neighbor? Jesus says you're asking the wrong question when you ask who do I have to pay attention to? Now listen, we are overwhelmed. Just in the mail, any particular week, I get three, four, five, ten things. My daughter put her name on every mission-giving thing in the world. So I get... I mean, she's young. She's sweet, but... I mean, if I took the trees that the junk mail that she signed us up for... And, and, and I'm sure most of it's good things, but I, don't, I can't give to... To every single thing. I can't give every time I publish. I'm already giving. And I'm giving. So- we're tired. We-, we have to. The Lord does say something. No, that's not. I'm not asking you to do that. It's okay to say. that We're not doing everything. The problem is the devil gets you think. I got to do everything. And then you do nothing. The point is you got to walk with Jesus. a way that you can ask him. And then as he leads you and opens your heart. That you obey that and then you do the people that you are supposed to help. I don't think, I'm not the Savior, I'm not supposed to help everybody, but I am expected, I am Jesus' little elf, and when he asks me to do things, he's expecting me to do it. Okay, not little elf, I'm one of his larger, (laughs) by weight, significant elves, if not by quality of service. By weight, I'm one of his larger elves. Jesus then said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, fell among thieves. Now look, you know the story. Let's get it to this. Jesus tells a parable that shows that the guy's asked the wrong question. Now, a lot of people, I don't know if Jerusalem was expensive, but a lot of the Levites and the priests lived in Jericho. They would have to go uphill, and they would have to go something like 17 to 18 miles. Different commentators that I, gave me different uh, mileages. Anyway, and then they say between 33 and 3,600 feet of elevation. So they had to walk up to go serve in, the, in the, uh, the temple. Now, they did it by lot and by schedule. So you might have to go up and work one week in the temple, and then you might have three weeks off or whatever, meaning you had weeks that you're on, weeks that you were off. And when they were off, they would come back down, as this parable is suggesting. And the guy's coming down, uh, not that this guy's a priest, but meaning this guy is coming on the same road that you would go down to Jericho, which... Many Levites and priests had their house there. I'm so sorry about this. I'm going to try to stay still. So uh, It's not going to really work. Give me the mic if you wouldn't mind, Corey. I'm going to turn this off. I don't know why it's got worse. Okay, so the guy is coming down and it's I've been on this road in a bus. If, you're cars- if you get car sick, you don't really want to be on this road. It's a, there's all kind of places for someone to waylay you, like the old westerns or whatever. Uh, there's, there's plenty of places to sneak up, hide until it's too late. Uh, and so the people would like to travel in big groups. But occasionally, you might have to go, and you didn't have a big group, and then you, 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 know, you take your luck. And so this guy takes his luck in the parable, and he comes down by himself, and they rob him. Now, why do they take his clothes? Well, today we would look for what? A good watch. We would look for... You've got gold jewelry. We'd look for your wallet. In those days... The status of the clothing, that's what would be expensive, and that's what your wealth would be. And in some ways, it'd be like if you had really expensive Air Jordans or something, we'd take it off you. But instead, your robe, that would be of the quality, that would be worth a lot. Meaning the most expensive thing you'd keep carrying with you would be your clothes. So they strip him, not to humiliate him, although it would be humiliating, but they did it because that's what was valuable. They could resell it. All right. So they beat him up bad enough that if he doesn't get help, he's not going to make it. Now, Jesus says there's two people in essence, and he's telling us as well, there's two religious people. If you make them bad people, you mess up the parable. Jesus is not saying these people are bad people. They serve in the temple. They know God's word. Uh, they're, they're, They're good people. We have no reason to believe that they're bad people. The problem is they have decided that their religion is largely internal and intellectual in their belief and not in terms of loving the world that Jesus died for. You know what? I look and in so many ways, Lord, I've spent so much of my life making sure that my thinking, my internal things are right. And I have not spent the same consideration and care about the world that you love. What is it? And I say, what is it about the way I study and pray and things that I don't find myself as compelled to love others as I do to focus on you? And if I heard the Lord say, it's the kind of focus, Ron. You've got to come to the text asking for me as you daily pray and you read, asking me not only how do I know you and serve you this way, but Lord, would you give me opportunities today to serve you as you bring people in that I would respond to them the way which you want to. Because you live in me and you want to use my hands and my feet and my energy and the money I don't have and the wisdom I don't have, the time I don't have. You're going to multiply it. You're going to change my values. You're gonna, if I'm going to start giving and, and responding to Jesus different, guess what's going to happen? I'm going to have to change my budget. Can you imagine if you start being the neighbor that Jesus talks about? It could mean that there's some things that you want that are okay that you can't have because that's going to have to be reserved to give and to share with the world that Jesus died for. I don't like here. I'll be honest. I don't like it, but it makes sense. I know it's good, and I know it's a better plan than my old plan. The Samaritan comes. He's a half-breed. He's from families of a half-breed. They're horrible people. In 728, when the Assyrians came down and took the Jews uh, captive, they only left the crummiest, poorest people possible that they didn't think were a threat. They took all the smart people, all the wealthy people, and they divided and conquered, and they planted them. So it would be like taking people from Crete and putting them in Croatia. I mean, what the Assyrians did, the original divide and conquer is, they took all these people from the divided uh, countries, and they mixed them up so that they didn't like each other, didn't have the same culture, didn't have the same language, and that way they could not fight well against the Assyrians. So all the 80, 90% of the people in Israel were taken out. The people that were left intermarried with the people that the Assyrians and the people that they moved there, they intermarried. And so they, they, they did sacrifice like the Old Testament of Mark Gerizim, but they had a little bit different scriptures. They had different rituals. And the key of the Old Testament was you could only sacrifice in Jerusalem and in the temple. And they th- thumbed their noses because the Jews didn't like them and said, you're half-breeds. So in their anger at the Jews for treating them bad in history... They said, forget it, we're going to create our own. You can't create your own, by the way. The Jews were wrong in the way they treated him, but you can't create your own. There's a lot of issues about that we can't solve this morning. I can, over a cup of coffee, we could talk about the implications. But the point is, this guy didn't have the right theology, but he loved God. Now, the answer isn't have bad theology. The point is, Jesus is giving us this to show us and to catch us because this guy's response to the man would be typically a Jew he would avoid as much as Jews would avoid him. Be like Palestinian Jews today. But instead, we know that his faith, however developed, theologically or not, his faith was developed in this sense when he saw the man in the need. His true concern about God caused him to reflect that in the way that he cared about the person that he passed by. So he takes him, probably had to cut his own clothes up to bind him up, wine to to, uh, disinfect him, oil was considered to be uh, a a medicine. He wraps him up, puts him on the donkey, which means he's walking. And then when he gets to the inn, he says, take him. He says, here's two denarii, two days wages. That will get him two to three weeks of medical care in the inn." And he says, and not only that, when I come back, if it costs more, I'll take care of it. Now, Jesus used the Samaritan not as an example that, oh, theology doesn't matter. That's not the But the point is, he asked the guy which of the three guys was right, which of them were justified, which one is God pleased with. The guy can't say, the lawyer can't say, oh, the Samaritan. That could never come out of his mouth. But he says, the one who showed kindness or mercy or compassion. Even he recognizes that's the one. We're supposed to love God in such a way that we truly love God, And if we do, it's supposed to look like that. That we understand that this time in this life is not for our own self aggrandizement, for all these, it is for the service and worship of Jesus. That is a very unpopular message anywhere. Because Jesus is expecting us to live for Him in a costly, sacrificial way. He has not expected us to be duped to try to do everything. Some people go out and because they don't want to learn how to hear God's voice, they don't want to, they just think, oh, I'm going to be indiscriminate. Then they get burned out. They give money foolishly. Meaning, you have to know how to hear God's voice. Because the devil will have you do it and then make a fool of you and then you'll resent God and you'll shut your heart and you'll say no to the people that God wants you to serve. That's why it is critical that we're in God's word daily, that we're reading and that we're praying and that we're asking the question, Holy Spirit, what do you have for me to do? And then the situation, asking. It is okay to recognize that I am not responsible for everything. I'm not responsible for anybody. I am responsible to be obedient as you show me and lead me in this situation. That's critical, all right? And clearly, God is expecting to put us in situations that are beyond us. Beyond us. When the guy says, the guy who showed mercy, Jesus says, go and do likewise. Do again. He used the word do again and that do again is continually do. Present tense. If we try to live like that, we are always going to be stretched beyond our capacity. Which means, God is expecting us to step out in obedience and God is promising to meet us by his spirit to strengthen us, to empower us, to take care of us, because you're going to live a life that's in play or at risk if you're going to follow Jesus Christ in a serious way. You cannot play it safe in the kingdom of God. Jesus is surely telling us that this morning. Now, what could this look like? There's a lot of things we could say. Are you getting the the thunder of this thing, though? Go and do, do this all the time. Focus on God and be open to serve and costly give to the people around you. There's a woman, she's been in the news because of cutting uh, a young African-American's dreadlocks. The guy was in a gang, and he said he wanted it, but, but uh, two or three years later, it showed up on the Internet, and so she's gotten a lot of hassle. But the story about this lady, because I took the time to read the article, is that she moved into a neighbor. She was up from up north. She moved to North Carolina someplace, and she moved into a mixed-race African-American white neighborhood. But she noticed that a lot of the kids were smoking pot and all this stuff, and she tried to talk to them, and she wanted to maybe do a tutoring thing. or she, Nobody had any interest. I don't know that she's a believer or not. I mean, I sure hope so. I mean, I say hope so. I hope everybody is. But, but she decided, she said, well, okay, no one wants me to help them, so what am I going to do? She came up with the idea. She said, I know what, I, I need to ask them what they want to do because if I don't get to know them and do what they want to do, they're never going to, I never can do, you know, help them in school or whatever I want to do. So, She starts going around and said, what do you guys want to do? And guess what the young man said to her? We want to box. Now, this is a woman who's not trained in boxing. My hunch is she had no interest in boxing. There's nothing to indicate she ever had an interest in boxing ever before. She created a nonprofit to teach boxing. She rented space. She got the coaches, whatever, boxing trainers. We got boxers here, golden gloves. So yes, 98, don't punch him, he, he'll punch back. Can you imagine? So she made it her business, she understood she is the neighbor. So she understood that God required her to, and she did. And she has created, by all accounts, a very successful program. And the, peop- the kid said, it's not what it looks like. Yes, it looks bad, but she sa- he said, uh, Miss Sally... Loves this. It wasn't. She said, "I was leaving the gangs. I wanted to cut my dress." It's on Yahoo. Whatever you want to read it. But but when you hear the story, it's beautiful. It was beyond her. She didn't know anything about boxing. She didn't have the money. But she was a free agent. God wants us to focus on Him in such a way that we could respond. It is not less. We cannot be saved with less than knowing that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins and to love him and believe him. Certainly, there's nothing less than that. But a true faith must sprout. And Jesus is expecting us to grow. To grow in our focus of worship and prayer and the reading of scriptures and the submitted to him by his spirit. Some of us, we really need to... I'm waiting. I thought, do I need to do it or I've got to wait? Some of us, we we need to... How do I read the Bible every day? If I need to have a class how to have devotion, I'll gladly do it. Some of us, how, we need to have a class. How do I hear God's voice? We need to have a class. There's plenty we could teach you. But we can't teach you until we say, I don't know. I, I, I don't know what you don't know. But I can tell you this. It's essential that we're in the word daily, that we're learning. How do we pray? Man, there's tremendous books on Prayer. There's all kinds of ways to pray. I I can't tell you how liberating it was to read Richard Foster and others and say, oh, some of these things I can do really well. I just thought prayer was what I saw on Wednesday nights at church and it was all kind of boring and disconnected. That's not what prayer is. But I didn't know it. But eternal life comes in faith in Jesus and a faith that sprouts in service or good works. And if that's not happening, we need to question, is it legitimate faith? Because Jesus says, real faith manifests in this kind of service. Remember, grace, this is Dallas Willard, one of the most helpful quotes I've ever heard. Dallas Willard said, grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. We were taught, many of us, that grace means you don't do anything, God does everything. As opposed to, we can't earn our salvation. Grace is opposite of earning. Yeah, we can't earn anything. But Jesus is expecting us to take up our cross daily and to live following him, not ourselves and our own agenda. All right? This is a tough thing. Go and do, live this way every day. I I don't know about you, but it feels like a two by four to the head. And, And a whole lot of my life is organized that way. But I can't help but read these kind of texts and realize, ah, but there's parts of me that really need to submit and to surrender to God. And if I don't get more systematically focus on parts of my life this kind of change in living is not going to come by accident it's going to come by the decision the will to follow Jesus Christ and to implement some changes I don't know about you but I never have done well with having my devotion at night maybe there's exceptions most of us we got to get up in the morning and start our day that way most of us not to get up I, I can tell you I can pray a whole lot about a lot of things but there's not my prayer life is changing now I'm being asked to pray for Tanzania and for churches and this and that, and I'm, and I'm, I'm praying for the Muslims. And, I mean, there's a whole lot of stuff, and yet I have not been praying near. I mean, I'm praying for the world, and I'm forgetting to say, Lord, would you lead me and guide me today for the guy next door? Lord Jesus, we thank you for your merits and your righteousness. We have Abraham to remind us that that faith uh, comes, uh, that righteousness comes by believing in you. But Lord, that true belief can be discerned from the false kind in this growing, in this fruitfulness and flourishing that comes by focusing our lives upon you every day. And Lord, that's a little much for some of us. We just weren't raised that way. And we were raised by people that were supposed to be good Christians, but they didn't follow you the way the Bible says. So Lord we acknowledge, Lord, that that maybe some of our patterns and expectations were wrong. Help us, Lord, that we would go and do likewise, Lord, that our daily response to you, that we would be open, Lord, whatever we are, if we're young, middle-aged, old, whatever it is, Lord, that we would ask you, Lord, how can I serve you? Lord, I pray that you would protect us from the enemy who'd want us to think we have to do everything and then ultimately shut our hearts down so we do nothing. Help us to begin to hear you and respond to the places and the things you have for us to do. Lord, we want to please you. We want to be people uh, that that enjoy eternal life in this life and the life to come. We do not want to fail to attain your heavenly promises. So Lord, we know righteousness comes by faith. But Lord, those who really have faith will do. So help us. It's not easy. Churches have fought over this. People have argued and uh, people have died for these kind of things. Lord, you hold them together. Lord, help us not to take a side. How foolish it would be to take one thing you say against other things you say. Instead of holding on to all that you say. So bless us and help us, Lord. We really need it. But Lord, for our passivity. Our passivity, Lord. For our sloth and laziness. Lord, for our disconnectedness, Lord, and for the the way in which, Lord, we we live and dream for pampering ourselves and not living for you and for this world that you died for. Forgive us, Lord. Oh, Lord, we pray your Holy Spirit would come and enable us, uh, Lord, to follow through. Lord, you ask us to make the choice, and you promise your Spirit will enable us. So we choose it, and we choose these things together in Jesus' name. Amen. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven."